record, so recording, we're live, this is grand. <gasps> Welcome to Sticky Interviews, my name's Nathan Simmons, I'm working for, or working with MBM. We are the soft skills provider for the UK grocery and manufacturing industry. And these interviews are about sharing the philosophies and the thinking of great people to help you be the best version of yourself. And today I'm interviewing George Troy. Now I've had some wonderful conversations with him from everything from chickens to squashes to the five laws of retail, which is uh, an exponent expert. You know, uh, uh, you know, this is his field of genius. So I've been speaking to him about these and I want to share some of these ideas with you or get him to share them with you. I want to introduce him first though, and I've got his bio here, and it's you know it's pretty decent reading for someone in the consultancy industry. And you know, this is good stuff. 35 years of real life experience as a senior executive for some of the best known and most successful retail companies across the globe. A specialist in both men's and women's apparel, sporting goods, cookware, home furnishings, and he's even led a retail division of Decker's Outdoor, which we all know as Ugg Boots. William Sonoma and the Pottery Barn. Key success is taking UG Australia retail sales from zero to 400 million in the US, Europe, and Asia in just eight years. I mean, that on its own, George, is, is a pretty decent celebration right there of a career. And he's currently a consultant with the Grayson Company based in New York. He's also serving on the board of directors as two, for two nonprofit organizations based in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's got a BA with honours from Berkeley in anthropology, which makes his storytelling unique, to say the least. And he uses that as the backbone of his approach to his book, The Five Laws of Retail. So please welcome George Troy to the, the camera and the interview. George, thanks for being here. Really appreciate this. Well, Nathan, thank you very much for that introduction. And um, I'm glad to be with you. It almost sounds like you could never hold down a job. <laughs> Well, I think you've got the experience from the apprenticeships of some of your earlier roles, which then got you into UG because of that real life experience and the right. stuff that you cut your teeth with. And you know what? Now you're a consultant doing that for other people. It just increases the impact you get to have on those businesses. So, you know what? I'd rather you didn't hold down a job because it means that you get to go and see more people and do more good in the world. So please. Well, that's true. That's true. Thank <laughs> you very much. So look, for me, the big question, first of all, when I'm talking to people is, why do you do what you do? What was it that inspired you to be where you are and do the things that you're doing right now? Well, there are a lot of things. Um, you know, primarily the book that just came out, The uh, the Five Laws of Retail. I Can I show that for a moment? I'll show yeah, it yeah. if I may. Yeah. yeah, The Five Laws of Retail, it's just released last spring. And um, it's doing fairly well. And there are several reasons I, I did that. One is that I honestly believe, I know, that these things will help people. They'll help people to be more successful and to avoid failure. And the other thing that you just alluded, alluded to um, are the stories. I tell, I, I tell the story of these laws through the stories of things that happened to me and that I did research in, um, in, you know, in historical research and business research too. Because retailing, whether it's groceries or beverages or shoes, is all about the people. And it's all about the types of interactions and the things that happen. And Nathan, you know, if you've been around the track a few times, like some of us have, there are a lot of stories every day, every week, every month. And some of them are sad and some of them are funny and some of them are poignant, but they're all instructive. And those are the things that people remember. And so I, uh, I wanted to tell those. I wanted to share those with somebody or with, you know, with the people who read the book. 
So that's and, the main reason. And that word you used was, was instructive. Now there's a, there's a mechanism, a, a model that I teach, which is the drama triangle uh, from a guy called Karpman, Dr. Karpman, phenomenal model for psychology. And it's all about drama. But when I talk to people about it, and if you look at soap operas that we watch now, it's all based on drama. Yeah. But the reason the, the dramas were created, you know, the Greeks created drama was to teach us stories of relationships and how we interact with people. It's just that along the way, we forgot to actually, you know, to view the instruction manual that was being played out for us. Right. And then when you talk about those stories that you're, of your experiences, my experience of us being around the track, you know what, those stories have been going on for tens of thousands of years. It's not like they're any different. Yeah. And, it, you know, you share stories about the East India Trading Company and, and some of those, you know, this stuff, it, it's getting, it's, on, it's almost on rinse and repeat because people aren't paying attention to the stories that are played out previously. Exactly, exactly. There's always a consistency. I have one with you, I'll share with you right now if you don't mind. But we had a store in Manchester uh, and opened it just before there were some terrible riots in Manchester and throughout England. I'm forgetting what they were about. I think it was some government cutbacks or something. So we were concerned about this and instructed our store people to lock the stock room, lock up the safe and lock up the store and leave. And they did because we were concerned about their safety. Well, sure enough, rioters, these hooligans got in and they broke all the windows and they tore up the store. They didn't get very much. The stock was in the, in the back. But all during this time, our security cameras were running. So we recorded some of this. Well, during the time there were these riots and there were these hooligans in the store, a DHL delivery guy shows up with a pair of special order shoes. And he goes through the broken window and he's got his invoice on a clipboard and he wants somebody to sign it. And he gets one of the rioters to sign it and then he hands him the shoes. And I, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard of. But it was so... The guy did his job. This was his job and he did it. And he didn't have, he got the signature and all the paperwork was done. And uh, it was funny and at the same time instructive of something, but I'm not quite sure what. Maybe you shouldn't always just follow the rules. You should be your, want your people, if you're the leader of a team, to make decisions on their own. You know, it's not particularly smart to leave shoes with rioters. It doesn't matter if you got the paperwork, but it, that was, and it was all in film and we had it. And it's, it almost seems ridiculous. Okay, I've got to go in here and get a signature. Who do who who is the the, the lead rioter here that needs to give me the signature? Oh, li exactly. Nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it, like you said, but then you can take that kind of that in, informative thing or approach of well, actually, what's the leadership lesson here? What can I? How can I use this story to actually instruct my leaders in their stores to make sure that do you know what? If things aren't right, what's the best decision you can make? Exactly. The best decision would have been to take the shoes back to where you need to be until this is all over, and then we'll yeah. redo it again. Exactly. And it's, you know, Thankfully, it's like, no one was hurt. Yeah, and that is the best part. You know, at the same time, should he even be getting out of the van? No. Again, it's just encouraging those leaders to think for themselves, what is the best possible outcome in a crisis situation, which we're in at the moment as well, yeah. as, we're, as we're recording this. Right. Exactly. So look. I know this, Eunice, I'm looking at books up here and up there, you know, of, of management books, of leadership books. What makes this one so helpful? Oh, um, thank you for asking that. And I hope that it is helpful. And uh, a couple of things. And one is that um, I think sometimes people make things more complicated than they need to be. 
And um, there's a thing, at least I'd always referred to an, an affliction called analysis paralysis that some people have. Now, analysis is important, of course, and um, uh, what you do with it is also important, maybe more than important. So I think that, you know, what I tried to do is to distill the business principles that I had learned and employed into some very easy to understand and simple things. These five things through which you, you can see your activities and your business grow through a lens. And um, if you filter things through these five things and use those as kind of a level set for what you're doing, it'll be a little easier. It should make your job easier and better, more successful and to avoid failure. So that's, that's partly it. Nice. And those five things, this is the five laws of retail, yeah? Yes. What are the five laws? Come on, give it to us um, now. I'm going to do this without looking at my notes. I wrote the book, but sometimes I have to lie. I'm just so close to it. I know this feeling sometimes people ask me questions about my book, and I'm just like, oh, let me go back. To, I'll come back to you. <laughs> right. Well, people first is the first law. Turn is magic. And actually, that um, uh, I enjoyed writing that, that subject. And in the grocery business, turn, and I use some great examples from the grocery business, of turn is magic. You have to turn your inventory, turn it into money. And uh, the third is, I'm going to have to look, that it's the retail price and not the cost. It doesn't matter what your markup is um, because you don't make it until you sell the thing. So it's the retail price. It's what the customer perceives is the value. And the fourth is the power of product. And the fifth is to protect your downside. And that's kind of the last, but, you know, things happen, as we've recently found out. Things that you can't predict, things that you can predict and you should be prepared ahead of time in those eventualities so that they don't catch you off guard. So those are the five laws. People first, turn is magic, uh, the power of product, retail price, and protect your downside. I think they're huge. I don't think enough people do, especially on that last one, protecting your downside. I don't think enough people do that. We, we, I think we get too complacent about a situation and we stay in a, in a, we stay in a moment and we think everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And, you know, we think that everything's secure, whether we've got, we're self-employed or <clears throat> especially if we're working in a company, we think, oh, I've got this job and I'm going to do this job for 40 years. But the truth is, if the CEO sneezes in the wrong direction, that company closes down quicker than you can say boo to a goose. Good. Yeah. So it, it's nothing in nature is certain. <clears throat> and we have to prepare. There must be kind of some sort of plan to mitigate you. No parachutist jumps out of an airplane without a second parachute. You know, right. It's not that they're hoping to use it. It's just that they know that if they if the first one goes, they really want a second one to back it up. Yeah. And the percentage chances of them actually using the, that second parachute is so tiny. But there was no way they would jump out of an airplane without two chutes. Right. Right. That's so a great need, analogy. Yeah. And we need to you know, protect your downside. It's going to happen at some time. We've been held. I'm 42. How many recessions have we have I lived through? How many crashes have we seen? You know, even in the last 12 years, we've seen two major situations happen. Right, right. Like two well, major, major situations. Yeah. Retailers are inherently uh, optimistic and positive. Next week, next month, next year is going to be better. We always plan for that. But you do have to plan for, you know, in case that doesn't happen. Kind of, you almost have to map it like it's a stocks and shares. You know, you can see you're going to go up and like this, but you have to work out where your peaks and troughs are going to be and, and you know, adjust accordingly. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
So when it comes to, for me, because I'm a leadership person, I teach leadership, I coach leadership, and all those elements that people in retail desperately need, I think. You know, what, what one of the five laws would you say is most applicable to developing the leadership? Then? Well, I think it's, you've got to save people first. Because a leader has to um, create a community and value your people. Your people are your most important resources resource and um as a leader of an organization you have to work through people whether they're your your direct reports or reports beyond that so um you have to create a sense of empowerment is an old buzzword but it really is empowerment if this dhl delivery guy had been empowered to make right decisions he would have made a different choice perhaps but he didn't feel that way so you have to work three people and create a, a sense of community and an environment where you can get the most out of them. I, yeah. think. I think one of the challenges is true. You know, I think people are, are a resource, but at the same time, I think sometimes people see them as part of the product. Right. And, and what I mean is, you, know, you say if you're you're selling trainers. Yeah. Or you're working in a packing hall and they're putting the trainers in the box. Often yeah. the people that work in that environment are being treated no differently to the, the shoes in the box. Right. You know, um, and remembering that they are people, they are human first and foremost, that they have got a power internally, that empower, that internal power, and they just may have forgotten to switch it on or, or to engage with that. Right. Because like the DHL guy, he's just being told what to do with, well, you just go to this store, you just get the signature and you just get back here as quickly as possible because we want to make sure you're, you're doing it in the right time because that's all we care about, productivity. Yeah. Um, whereas actually we want to instill with some questions that person to fire them up in their own way Yeah. Um, to do it from the inside out, not to expect to be told what to do every time. Right. And that's how you get people to do you know, great things for themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for it, uh, George. People first. Yeah. What have you got in the book, though? We talked to, we shared a couple, or you shared a couple of stories. <clears throat> what have you got in the book then that really brings that people first element to life? Oh well, I hope there are lots of things, but um, you know, if, if you think back to your experience in a retail environment or any kind of business environment, whether it's a shoe store, a grocery store, an airline desk, or um, a church, and I talk a little bit about, you know, religious retailers, because they're some of the best. They have a product to sell with a great markup, and people will pay anything. So, so, and, but that's, that's an aside. But I talk a little bit about the, the karma and the feeling of a place. You know, how often have you walked into a store and just feel good? It's a place where you want to be, and these are people you want to be with. And when I talk about building, a leader must build a community. It's not just your employees and your direct reports to your customers. They want, you, you know, the most successful retailers of any category bring their customers in and create, you know, a, a community that involves them. Um, in the book also, I, I suggest that people think about a different kind of um, organization structure. You know, that hierarchical structure with the guy at the top and then the stuff, that came actually historically out of World War II where we had the you know, supreme commander and the generals and admirals and corporals and however that sets up in the military. And then after the war in the 1950s, that was sort of applied to business. Well, that seemed to work. Let's do it like that. 
Well, I suggest that an org chart might be more of a circle where, you know, it shows, kind of illustrates our, our interdependentness and our interconnectedness. Spokes, you know, and spokes on, on the wheel and the customer is part of that organization. So it takes away from that hierarchical thing, which I've never liked anyway. I mean, I'm just always a, a rebel and just don't like that kind of thing. So um, I think it's, I think a, a great leader working through their people, not telling them what to do, but like work through them. And it takes a little more time to do this. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, but you'll be rewarded with a community and an environment that has a positive karma. I'm probably dating myself when I use words like that, but it is, it's sort of a vibe, a karma that, um, that is communicated to your customers. And you'll be rewarded in lots of ways. The other thing that I think it's important to recognize, Nathan, is that um, people work for other reasons than the money. You know, you do get the paycheck, and we all need that, but there's other reasons people show up for work every day. And as I mentioned in the book, somebody taught me along the line, you want your people to want to come to work, not feel like they're dragging their ass in and they have to be there, although that is part of it too. Um, but um, they want to be there and to be part of something and, uh, and to see your company and your business flourish. And that's how you, real success can happen. And, and that will also see you through tough times like we're going through right now. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it doesn't matter what industry you work in. And I used to work in car insurance at one point, you know, and, right. and tool hire and in different areas. And it doesn't matter whether it's shoes, upward. In the nicest possible way, we don't go home and tell people how many car insurance policies we sold or how many pairs of Ugg boots we sold. We just don't talk about that. Right. What we talk about is we talk about the interactions with our colleagues. We talk about the interactions between our, our, our customers. Oh, I, I spoke to this customer today and they loved this and I got to share these ideas with them and they ended up buying 20 pairs of shoes, but it was the conversation that happened that caused that. Right. You know? right. um, and it, like you say, it's that community piece. And it comes, you know, community, uh, communion, communication. No, it's about being with people in an environment and as leaders we we create a not a vortex but almost like a bubble where the customer wants to come back to that yeah where the where the colleague wants to come back to that and they and they can congregate and feel safe in that space and, right. and do good work which yeah. is the fun part it is it is yes you want to have an environment where people want to hang out and be part of it yes yeah. so that's very important and that's very well said and they talk, and this is the thing they want to go home and talk about it. So they talk to someone else that then talks to someone else that says, Do you know what? I want to be a part of that. And it's like um, Apple, what is it? The cult of Apple, wasn't it? If you, you know, if you, it used to be if you had wanted an iPhone or you wanted an Apple computer, it was called the cult of Apple because it was part yeah. of that community ethos. Um, sure. and it's, and it's about building that stuff. Thinking about current situation, because right now we don't know if we're in the middle, we don't know if we're at the beginning, we don't know if we're at the end at the moment of, of current situation with, with COVID-19. Right. How is this stuff relevant right now then? Oh gosh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, of course, as everybody has. And I think there are several things that are um, important for um, business leaders to recognize and to um, understand. The first is that um, many people who are, have been in the workforce for maybe just 
five, 10, maybe just even 15 years, have never seen a bad year. They've never had a bad time. And although none of us have seen anything like this, but those of us who have kicked around for a while, we've seen a couple of recessions, we've seen a couple of mergers, we've seen a couple of bankruptcies maybe, we, some things have happened, so we're a little bit more prepared. And so, um, but others uh, haven't. And so I think that means a couple of things. One is it's unreasonable to expect you're going to get 100% work out of your people. That's not going to happen. You have to be a little bit understanding and, and give them some flack because people are scared. They're genuinely frightened. They're worried about getting sick. They're worrying about their family getting sick. They're worried about their income. Just managing your life right now is challenging and difficult. Getting to the store and, you know, groceries are a, an essential business, of course, but, but doing it is, is become more difficult. Getting laundry or getting your hair cut or getting, you know, all these things is a little more difficult on top of being stressed and worried about being ill or worrying about your money. So <clears throat> a, a good leader has to be sympathetic to that and allow them some slack. Um, I think the other things that are really important are some of the basics. You know, you have to be honest and you have to communicate. And that means frequent communication. And if you don't know all the answers and you won't, it's okay to say that. And here's what we're having now. Um, here's what we know now. Here's what we hope to learn later. And here's when I can get back to you with more answers or an update. People want to have that, and they'll hang on every word. It's very important to do that and do it with, with uh, integrity and authenticity. And you'll, get, and you'll, be, re, you'll be rewarded with respect and, and loyalty as a result, and you'll all work together better. So those are some of the main things. I think be sympathetic to people's and empathetic to people's um, concerns and worries right now because they're very real and to, uh, to be honest and constant communication. People want to hear. And of course, many of us are, are feeling more isolated and separated as we um, you know, are sheltering at home, is what they call it here, about staying home more often. So I think those are some of the most important things. And that comes back to kind of that first law, people first. People want to be communicated with. Yeah, they want that that transparency. Even if you don't have all the answers, that regularity of conversation is going to help keep them in the loop. That they know in an hour's time we're going to get another update. And even if that update is, we still haven't got the answers yet. They still feel connected to the community. They still connected to the, the situation. That's right. And it's not that scary if you're you know if you're not honest, don't communicate. Then people make things up, and those things are worse than what the reality is. So it's okay to tell them. And I think probably the people that you work with and your clients know that and model that themselves. I hope so. But it's okay to be reminded of it and put a little more effort behind it at this particular time. And, I mean, this is something that I've heard and I say a lot to people is, you know, common sense isn't so common, unfortunately. Uh, um, seems that way. And, and sometimes when, as leaders, it's... It, I don't know whether, you know, there's a high percentage of people make a presumption that, well, if I know it, they must know it. Yeah. But that, like you say, that worry kicks in and there's that uncertainty. Well, I'm worrying about this. I'm worried about that, 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 that neocortex, that logical part of the brain isn't working at 100%. What might have seemed like common sense yesterday no longer functions. 
Great, and actually, great. as the leader, you have to act as that rational point of contact to help remind people it's okay. This is what's happening. These are the actions I take. So you're yeah. supporting them to think because, and they also, and you're the leader. They're looking to you for that that input to make sure that actually you're leading that community in the right direction in times of crisis. Exactly. Exactly. This is where all those skills become most important. I mean, when times are good and business is easy, uh, business is easy. Not that it ever is totally easy, but it, you know, but when it's difficult like this is when the, when the, you know, when the, these kinds of things are most important to be consistent with. I was just thinking about law number five, which is that, that downside element. Right. You know, what would be kind of some sage wisdom to share with people then, you know, fingers crossed we don't go into a situation like this again for another couple or 300 years, fingers yeah. crossed. But, yeah. you know, what are the lessons that are being learned potentially now that would help people to kind of prepare for that downside again in the future? You know, that's a great point. I'm glad you, you mentioned that because um, although this is such an urgent emergency at the moment, there are, I've already heard and, you know, people I've been talking to, there are good things that are coming out of it. Many people are learning a different way to work. Um, you know, not just working from home because that's the only thing you can do, but they're finding it really does work. Telemedicine, it seems to be working, where you can talk to your doctor, as we're talking right now, describe your symptoms and, or, you know, nurse practitioner and get some, get some medical advice. So there are, there will be, I, I predict that there will be some very good and positive changes that come out of this terrible experience. And uh, so we have to be open for that and look for those. And you can also, another mark of a good leader is to ask your people and let that bubble up. I mean, there are undoubtedly things that we haven't noticed that are out there that people are finding that are, that are, that are working. And it's just the, um, I've never ceased to amaze the, the genius, particularly of, um, of, you know, younger workers and younger leaders who, don't have maybe some of the paradigms that our 35 years have built up for us. So they see different things and different opportunities. So I think it's important to recognize that and to see that. Uh, that's a massive point is people at the coalface see the world differently to people that are leading the teams or leading the business. Yes. And actually what's, you know, when we're leading a business, we don't necessarily see the, the intricacies of what's causing these guys blockages and challenges. Right. And like you say, letting them percolate those solutions to the surface. Because right. if, you know, whether it's homeworking, whether it's a new solution, oh, we could be using this tool, oh, we could be doing that. Let the ideas come. And encourage the ideas to percolate to the surface because it's going to be those ideas that's going to help them do better work at the coalface in a new environment, a challenging situation that we've got now. Well, that's right. And as a result, the whole organization will be stronger. The other thing at this particular time, I think, is to, to hopefully you've developed some of these relationships and these communities already and have a foundation for them so that your um, other business partners, whether they be landlords or suppliers or uh, whatever, um, can work together with you to mitigate some of the risk and some of the damage. Um, nobody should have to take the whole fall for it. And in many cases, the, uh, you know, really strong leaders do that. And uh, I read an article just yesterday about Bob Iger, who was the CEO of Disney. And he's still under the chairman of the board of Disney Corporation. And he is giving his 
entire annual paycheck for the rest of the year to a fund for employees who may be needed, um, don't have other resources or whatever. I heard another great interview with the president of, of Bank America, and he was asked on a business channel what they are doing. And he said, well, the first is I'm letting all employees know that they have a job. They will not lose their job. Um, and so he went on with that. I mean, that's where he started. Even though he's, he's a banker, um, he started with the people. And those, those are the marks of a really great leader. They've already, um, you know, internalized that and they'll be rewarded for it. It's vital, like you say, the first thing, especially in the finance sector, the finance industry, you know, they get a bad, pretty bad rap you know, a, a lot yeah. of times, especially 2008 credit crunch, all those That's sorts right. of things. And some of them deserved it. Rightly so, because they were playing a very different game back then. And I right. think that may have been um, a, a, a historical nudge to actually say, Do you know what, this isn't okay. And it kind of is a prelude and a preparation to get to 2020 when this is happening to go, do you know what is the right thing to do? Right. Is to use these bonuses, is to make sure we're doing this, that we're putting people first to support actually what we do as a business. It's not yeah. just about the numbers and whatever we're doing to make that happen. Right. Um, I think that's hugely important. Oh. The other thing I was thinking about, and you said about that, was in the businesses talking to suppliers and talking to the manufacturers and stuff like that. And I, can't, I was having a conversation. I wish I could remember who it was. And they were saying, yeah, well, as businesses, we need to be speaking to the people we're supplying to. We need to be speaking to the people that are supplying us. And also kind of brokering deals with them in the best possible way. Because maybe you run a business and, you know, these, these small companies over here that you've been supplying to, maybe they go out of business. Yeah. Because you, for what, they're going through equally hard times as we are. Right. And by even you having a conversation with them and brokering a deal at this time, you strengthen that relationship so that when we come out the other side of it, there's mm. more of those people there, the small people, and you're mm. able to supply to them. So you've still got a business when you come back in a month, two months, three exactly. months. Exactly. Exactly. And that will happen. We will come back. Yeah. We right. will come back for sure. Um, and it's, it, um, it's not as if they're unprecedented in the, in the history of mankind. But no, the last time we had something like this was potentially kind of the you know the, the Spanish flu was one it was much before our lifetimes, right. a few of us, and then you kind of you know the plague these things happen, and in yeah. business there is always a crisis of some sort of of, of varying uh, intensities and proportions. Yes, that's um, right. Whether it's blockbusters going out of business because of Netflix, or whether it's uh, Kodak going out of business because of digital cameras, or whatever. Yeah, there's always a crisis to be managed, and like you say, you know, it's managing the downturn, looking after your people, perceived value. Is the product still valuable to your clients, you know, your customers, right. um, and all those elements that you put into the book as well? Exactly. <sighs> mm, good. No, absolutely true. It's incredible, I, you know, and I don't think enough people look at this. Whether it's from a service provider or whether it's from a product provider. The five laws of retail are still relevant and poignant and still very necessary. I think so. I'll tell you one, I'll tell you one more quick story. And it's about a guy I used to work with. And um, he went through some changes in his life. He went off on his own, opened his own store. The store failed. I think he became alcoholic for a time and got over that. And all these things happened to him. Well, he ended up 
I hadn't talked to him for many years. He ended up working for the Catholic cemeteries of the San Francisco Bay Area. He was like their marketing director. And so I looked him up and we went to have lunch one day. And I said, Bob, you know, how's, how's it going? And he said, you know, everything is retailing. Take this business, for example. There's a great markup. There's never any returns. And we put a smile on every customer's face, <laughs> literally. And he, uh, it was funny when I called him, his base, his office was at a cemetery. There were like five or six cemeteries that he worked with. It was called Gates of Heaven. And they had a receptionist. When I call up, she'd say, literally, this is absolute truth. She'd say, Gates of Heaven, how may I direct your call? With not so much as a, a snicker or a laugh at all. That's just the way she was told to answer the phone, like the DHL guy. So um, that's a story. Everything is retailing, and it's all about the same. It's all about the same principles. That's and what I believe. And it is. And I've said, you know, to to echo that from a slightly different angle. I've always told people every day is a sales day. Well, um, yes. And sometimes you have to sell getting out of bed to yourself because maybe there's something that's going on and you have to get, you know, sometimes you have to sell, you know, whether you're going to sell yourself, whether you're going to have a cup of tea or a coffee. You know, exactly. Sometimes you have to sell, uh, am I going to be nice to this person or am I going to avoid this situation? Mm -hmm. um, and people that say they aren't in sales, we're all selling something at some point to somebody, oh. whether it's to ourselves or somebody else. Always. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. <sighs> Amazing. I've enjoyed this, George. I, I love this conversation. I love the elements. I also love the storytelling part. So, you, know, you talked to me about the East India Trading Company and some of those you've included in the book. Yeah. I really enjoyed that stuff. And then the use of you know, large scale events that have happened when people know where this stuff went. You know, whether it's East India going to the Boston Tea Party, or these are big events. And, you know, again, if you use these, these lenses, to actually get that clarity, you can see where these people went wrong in their journey. And you can apply that thinking and logic back to yourself very easily. So, right. appreciate it. I think so. Last question from me, or second, sure. to second penultimate question. I keep making this mistake, it's penultimate question. Okay. Penultimate question. What do you think makes behavioral change stick? Or what do you do oh. that makes behavioral change stick? Oh, well, that's a great question. And you know, Nathan, I don't think there's an easy answer to it. That's difficult. That, I think that's very, very difficult. Um, but I think consistency is one of them. You know, and I think it also, that question kind of dovetails into um, a, another thing which I have seen happen in the last several years. And that's a change, a sea change in values. So the values that, that are important now in the 21st century going forward, I, th I think there's three you can identify. And they are authenticity, honesty, and community. And when I talk and other people talk about um, the importance of community and, and how and why people work and why people do whatever they do, it's for more than just the paycheck. It's not just the paycheck. And I think in the 20th century, there was sort of an assumption that yes, it is all about the money and nothing else matters. Well, a lot other matters, as it turns out, then as now, but now it's more recognized. So I think, I think if you're consistent with being honest with people, and I don't mean just not stealing <laughs> the till, but honest with, with facing the facts and authenticity, because people can smell that. If you're not authentic or your product is not authentic or your 
stores aren't authentic, people know it it's instinctively. And even if they don't articulate it, they, it's, there's something there. And the community, which is, I mean, we're very social animals. That's what makes this current crisis so difficult. That we can't get together and, and you know, hold hands the way we want to or, in, you know, the way we're, we're hardwired to do. So these things, I think, are hardwired and they're, they're more recognized now and more um, recognized as being important. And some of the values of the last century, which were built upon the, the horrible wars of the first half of the century and, you know, the prosperity afterwards, um, are, are, you know, they're still there, but these other ones I think are more important. So how do you, how do you make it happen over time? And there are lots of things that can threaten it. I'm glad you recognize that and ask that question because there's lots of, it's not easy. A lot of things can threaten it and derail it and, and make the changes, the constructive changes that your leaders want to make uh, not happen. So I think it's being consistent and being honest and building community. Those are the main things. Amazing. And he, he reminded me of a, actually, because, you know, the San Francisco area, San Francisco? No, it's Seattle. I'm getting my geography mixed up because Bruce Lee popped into my head. Um, long-term consistency beats short-term intensity. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you've got to be consistent. Now, if I'm turning up with these values of authenticity, honesty, and community, am I turning up with those three things every single conversation? Am I turning up with those three uh, values every single meeting, every exactly. single day, every single relationship, every single interaction? Right. That's the consistency piece that builds the relationships, that creates the community, because you're being authentic and honest, that creates long-term you know, like behavioral change. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. It is part of who you are. Yeah. It's already there. You don't have to, you don't have to construct it. It's already there. It's part of who you are. It's just recognizing it and employing it. Yeah, it's employing it, doing it, making sure that the video and the audio sync up, as I say. Now <laughs> that the two things happen. Um, and doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And it, it's human and humane and all of those things. I exactly think so. that. Yeah. Last question. Definitely yeah. last question. Okay. Where can people find you and where can people get your book? Oh, thank you very much. Well, um, my website, georgetroy.com, also has, um, you can sign up to receive my regular blogs on current business subjects. The last two are about this, this uh, pandemic um, and advice about those things. And that might be helpful. Uh, the book is available at Waterstones online now of course and amazon online of course so uh they're not hard to come by and so those are the places where i'm at other than that i live in california but i'm in the uk from time to time and hope to be there again before too soon and i have said we're going to meet up we will be exchanging coffees and george and i are both avid gardeners so we'll be doing a seed swap at some point as well so i mean I'm that'd be great to, yeah and um, Look, guys, watching this video, go and check out George's work as a you know small business entrepreneurial types, people that are in the retail business. Go and have a look at it. This book is helpful. These lenses are literally magnifiers of how to look inside a microscopic level and see what you need to be doing in the right way, but also gives you the long-term view to actually see what's coming downstream so you can mitigate the downside, so you can put people first, so you can make sure that the value your clients are getting is, is on point and make sure you're turning over that product. This is what it's all about. 
George, thank you very much for your time. It's so appreciated. Um, just want to say thanks again, everybody. George, any final words? Um, yes, in, on my website, in the book, are my, con my personal contact information, and I would love to hear some of your stories. Amazing. Get in contact with George. Share your stories. Let him know what's working. What is, you know, what areas you know of the book is supporting you on. That would be phenomenal feedback for him.